Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Good morning. So good to be here. I absolutely love this church. I love the heart of this church. Uh, John and I have become such good friends, and I such, I'm such a believer in your vision and to raise up the strongest generation is such a compelling vision that I'm excited to be a part of. So just a quick introduction. John introduced me a little bit, but uh, yeah, my name is Aaron Pierce. I am the CEO and international mission director for an organization called Steiger International. Uh, We are operating in over 120 cities around the world, and our heart is to mobilize followers of Jesus to reach young people who would not walk into a church, which as you probably know is a challenge that many of us face. How do we reach people who have misconceptions about who Jesus is and what it means to follow him and are not likely to come to a church event today? So that is our heart. Now, quick, quick personal introduction. I grew up in Amsterdam in the Netherlands in Europe. And we lived in a small uh, apartment right in the center of the city. My parents were actually missionaries in the city, and they had a heart to reach young people of that city. And I got to experience God move in incredible ways through the ministry of my parents. And I saw that God was real, and he was powerful. And, and I, I grew up in this environment. It was, it was really cool, but what was also great is my parents always had this sense of, you don't have to be a missionary to be a radical follower of Jesus. You need to do and go where he asked you to go, and that could be you know, in a church context, a missionary, or it could be in the workplace. So I, when I grew up, I went to college here in the U.S., in Minnesota, and I studied international business and economics. And I was preparing to go to law school, and I had, had these visions that I would change the world through politics. I had all these ideas of what I would do, and why are you laughing? Um, <laughs> come on, I was young, you know, okay. Anyway, um, the point is, I had ideas, ideals of how I was going to change the world. And then I, I went on this mission trip to uh, Mexico, And it was just a normal American church mission trip to Mexico. We did building projects. And, you know, and as a kid who would grow up in the mission field, you would have thought, you know, just been a standard thing. But I went on this trip, and as is often the case on a trip like that, I was exposed to the brokenness of the world, to poverty, to injustice, to suffering. And I remember it led me to a season of wrestling with God. God, how could you create a world that is so messed up? How could you create a world that's so broken? How am I possibly supposed to make a difference in the world? I can't even fix the problems in my own life or my family's life, let alone all of this. And I, I was, it was a real season of wrestling with God. And through that season, I end up having a revelation of, a, of God's truth, something that I understood conceptually in my mind, but all of a sudden it came into my heart and exploded open. And that truth was this, that God is far from indifferent 
to our suffering. In fact, he sent the most precious thing he had in Jesus to enter in to our suffering, to take our suffering upon himself. And all suffering, all pain, all evil, all injustice is the result of one thing, and that's sin. And there's only one solution to sin, and that's the message of the cross. That's Jesus. And so I was like, okay, that truth went from my mind to my heart, and it changed the trajectory of my life. At that point, I knew that's what I was going to be about. That's what I was going to pour myself out to. Jesus and the message of the cross, because I recognized that that was dealing with the core heart issues of all that is wrong in our world. So I end up joining the mission, long story short, a few, about 10 years ago, taking over leadership of our mission. But my heart burns for people who don't know Jesus. You know, and it, it doesn't take a lot to notice that our country is changing pretty drastically, right? We are going from what used to be a nominal Christian nation in which most people would say, I'm a Christian, and they had a positive view of the church, and they saw the Bible as a good moral guide, and so it was this kind of nominal Christian culture where people had a positive view of the church to a post-Christian culture in which many people are walking away from the church, especially young people. And so that's the cultural dynamics that we're in, and the religion, the new religion of our day is something called secular humanism. And what this means is that God has been replaced, man is at the center, and there is no outside authority that can tell me how to live my life. It's the era of my truth and identity, purpose, and morality is all self-constructed. I define those things. So when you think about all the confusion and the things that are going on in culture today, those are a logical outworking of a secular worldview that says, I define everything about me. There's no one out there that can tell me who I am. And if you pay attention, you see this message everywhere. This is an Instagram post by a guy called Jay Shetty that says, the rules are fake, do what you want, listen to how you feel, and make decisions that honor your soul. That is secular humanism. Or here's another one from a Starbucks that says, don't you ever let a soul in the world tell you that you can't be exactly who you are. Quoting Lady Gaga, that is secular humanism. And it sounds so good. It sounds so liberating, right? Because, because it's a sense of freedom and no one can tell me what to do. But the reality is the consequences are devastating. It's like poison wrapped in bubble gum, right? It looks all good and clean on the outside, but the consequences are devastating. To give you an example, there's a while back, a non-Christian friend of mine from high school posted on social media that his son, who was about the same age as my oldest son, had been diagnosed with brain cancer. And when I saw that post, man, it wrecked me. Because I thought, ah, how, I can't imagine the fear and the, the, just the, the anger that I would be going through with my little boy was to have a diagnosis like that. And I was just so troubled by it. And then I began to read some of the comments on his post. 
And he was getting comments like this, positive vibes, sending you healing vibes his way, sending you all positive vibrations and much love. And then eventually he responded, thank you everyone for the supportive words of concern and positive energy you've expressed for my son, Peter. And I couldn't help but think about how hopeless that all sounded, right? Because in the secular humanistic worldview, there is no transcendent hope, just positive energy. And it's devastating. Because of this, we have a culture and a generation that is confused, sexually broken, lonely, and anxious. Think about it, because if you're the source of truth, you're going to end up confused. If there are no rules, you're going to end up sexually broken. If it's all about me, I'm going to end up lonely. And if there's no anchor to hold on to, in the storms of life, I'm gonna be anxious. I'm gonna be depressed. And so this is the cry of a generation, confused, sexually broken, lonely, and anxious. And here's the sad thing, the thing that should break a heart most. So many people are dealing with this, and yet they will not walk into a church because they believe it to be irrelevant to their lives. That should break our hearts. And I don't know about you, but I look around at the world, I look at the state of our country and the world around us, and I can be overwhelmed. There's so much brokenness. We need God to move. Our human efforts and wisdom are not enough. We need a supernatural move of God. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And I don't know about you, but I don't need more talk. I need God's power. And the only hope for this world, our city, our families, our own kids, is if we experience a supernatural move of God. Here's the amazing thing. God loves to move supernaturally through ordinary people like me and like you. He wants to use you to change the world around us. That's the most incredible thing. We have the ultimate answers to the cry of a generation because Jesus brings truth to the confused. He brings healing to the sexually broken. He brings the ultimate relationship with God and the create, the, our creator and the church. And he brings peace that transcends understanding. We have the ultimate answers to the cry of a generation. God wants to use us to bring that hope to the world. So what we're going to be talking about today and in this series is how can we bring hope to this world? This series, Not Beyond Reach, is based on my new book, How Do We Share Jesus with the Young, the Deconstructed, and the Non-Religious? And we're going to talk through a series of things. We're going to first talk about how do I develop authentic relationships with non-religious people? We're going to spend our time this morning on that. Then we're, in, in subsequent weeks, we're going to talk about how do I start a spiritual conversation because while many people are suspicious of institutional religion, they are open to spirituality. They are hungry for something transcendent, and so we can have a spiritual conversation. And then that leads us to Jesus and the cross, because Jesus and the cross is the only hope for the world. And, it's, and Jesus and the cross is where the power of the gospel lies. 
And so how do we communicate the cross in a relevant way to our culture today? And then lastly, how do we navigate the cultural stumbling blocks of our day? How do we navigate politics and sexuality and science and these things that become so divisive when in fact they can become great opportunities for spiritual conversations? So those are the things that we're going to talk about. Now, this morning I want to talk about how do we develop authentic relationships with people that wouldn't walk into a church. You see, the church's response to the decline of Christian influence and moral decay in our country has been one of two things. On one hand, it's been assimilation, where we kind of water down the message and we kind of conform our morals and our standards so that we can kind of fit in with the world. That's one response to what we've got going on in our culture. But the other response is fear and isolation. That we kind of hide from the world, we retreat from the world because we don't want to be contaminated by what's going on in the world. So we choose either assimilation or isolation. But if we look at the example of Jesus, it was neither one of those. He chose to enter into our world and to transform it. So we are called not to compromise and to water it down for the sake of of reaching people, nor are we called to hide or retreat. We are called to enter and to transform the world. This is the call that we have. Hebrews 10.39 says, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Like Jesus, we are called to enter into the world and transform it with bold faith, characterized by outrageous love and contagious courage. That's what it's going to take. It's the kind of self-sacrificing love that literally the world's like, that doesn't make any sense, but it's extremely attractive. And it's the kind of courage in the face of opposition and hardship that makes people stand up and take notice and say, wow, they really believe what they say. This is the kind of bold faith that we need to enter into the world with. So let me illustrate this this way. If you come to the Steiger International Training Center in Germany, where we train young people from all over the world to come to be missionaries to the global youth culture, to secular culture. If you go there, you'll see on the wall a message that's written. It says, God rewards those who seek him with a desperate heart. And this is a paraphrase of Hebrews 11.6. And this goes, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, we have this up on our wall because our number one value is seek God, and we recognize that apart from him, we can do nothing. But there's a part of this verse that I find so interesting. It's the part that says, anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And it's, it's kind of interesting because it seems so obvious Right? The, the, the author of Hebrews is speaking to a Christian audience, and he's saying, hey, if you come to God, you should believe that he exists. And it's like, well, yeah, of course. What's going on here? And I think what the author is saying is like, what I say, what I say with my mouth is not a good indicator of what I believe. It's actually what I do. 
how that affects my life. So to give you an illustration of this, I mentioned to you already, I grew up in Amsterdam. We lived in a small little apartment, center of the city, top, the top level um, apartments in, in this little city. And we would have a lot of kind of crazy stuff that would happen on the streets down below our apartment. Like Amsterdam is a pretty wild city and there'd be, my parents taught me how to avoid drug dealers on the way to school. And it was an interesting dynamic. And I don't know if you've ever heard, but in Europe, soccer fans, they're like, they can get a little crazy. And so one time there was this group of out of town soccer fans in Amsterdam and they thought it would be a fun idea to pick a fight with the local drug dealers on our street. So all of a sudden we had this big old fight, which eventually became a riot between this group of soccer fans and these drug dealers on our streets. I mean, it was crazy. They were like picking up rocks and bottles and chucking it at each other. I mean, you don't need a TV when you got that kind of entertainment on the streets below, right? So we're like looking at it from above and like it's wild. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of this riot, a single police officer shows up, drives up, gets out of the car, and, and starts to run right in the middle of this riot. And all he had was like one of these rubber batten things. And you had all these tough dudes, and they look at the police officer, they look at each other, they drop their weapons, and then they start to run down the street together, being chased by this single police officer. And for him, for, you know, like the police officer's chasing him, and then I, like at some point he like kind of re realizes what he's doing, and he stops, and he kind of backs up and does one of these, and gets in the car and calls back up, I guess. But for a moment, this officer so believed in the authority and the power of whom he represented, he was willing to run into a riot. That is what it means to believe that God exists. It means that we so believe in God and who the Bible says he is, that with bold faith, characterized by outrageous love and contagious courage, are willing to enter into a riot. That's what it means to live that courageous faith. Now, maybe you hear this and you're thinking, you know, I'm, this, world, this world is broken, this world is confused, and I'm concerned about my kids. I'm concerned about raising my kids in this crazy world. And honestly, I get it. I have four kids ranging from age four to 11, and I too am concerned. I'm concerned about the things they have to contend with today. But here's what I know. The best thing that I can do the best thing for them is that our family lives a life of radical faith. Not retreating from the world, but going in and transforming it so that they can experience God's power through their life. The best thing I can do is to show them what it means to follow Jesus. And I believe that one of the reasons that so many kids are walking away as young adults is because they grew up around a riskless faith, a faith that was too safe, too comfortable. Frankly, it was boring. Just religious activities and rituals. 
Or as it says in 2 Timothy 3, 5, many have experienced a form of godliness, but denied its power. Why would I follow these religious activities? Why would I not? Why, this is, I want to experience the reality. So as followers of Jesus, as parents concerned for our kids, we need to model this. The best thing that you can do for your kids is to live a life of radical obedience to Jesus, running into the riot with outrageous love and courageous courage. Don't just play defense, play offense too. So when I was a teenager, I told you I grew up in Amsterdam, and then my family, believe it or not, we moved from Amsterdam all the way to New Zealand, which is literally the other side of the world. And we moved to New Zealand, and if you don't know, New Zealand is a very secular, progressive country, and I went to a public high school, and actually I barely knew any other kids that were followers of Jesus in my high school. And it was a pretty tough environment. And so the church activity in our area was pretty weak. There wasn't much going on. And so my, my mom said to my dad, Dad, you have, David, you have to do a Bible study for the boys. And so he's like, okay. And my dad, he's the one that founded our mission. He doesn't know how to do anything halfway. Like he's not like your normal youth group guy. It's like, and so he's like, all right. And so we gathered our friends, me and my brother and like four other friends and we gathered for a Bible study, and we studied the Bible, and they said, all right. And we, we were reading about God, God roars as a seeker with a desperate heart. He said, all right, we're going to put this into practice. We're going to have an all-night prayer party. And we're like, okay. And so we end up buying all this, um, like, energy drinks and junk food, and we went out to the forest, and a group of teenagers prayed all night and said, God, we want to see your power in our lives. We want to see you work in our city. And we were praying and doing this, just a bunch of dumb teenagers that didn't know what they were doing. And all of a sudden, God gave us an idea. One of our friends said, hey, what if we, what if we got a big like circus tent and we set it up in the middle of the city and we got our friends with bands and creative artists and stuff to come together and do a big performance and then we'd share the gospel with all our friends. And they were like, okay. And so we started to pray, and all I can tell you is the next thing I know, someone donated us a, a circus tent, and we're setting it up in the town, and we're bringing all our friends and building bands and doing things like this, and we, we invited our friends to come. Next thing I know, we, every month, we have 500 kids from our school coming to this event, seeing this performance and hearing the gospel being proclaimed, led by a bunch of teenagers. And it was incredible life-transforming experience for me. I remember one time we were doing a show and, and this guy was walking by and he wasn't planning to come to our event. He was just walking by and he said later that he felt like this magnetic force pulling him inside the tent. And so he came into the tent and right at that moment, the gospel was being preached and he heard it and he felt convicted and he gave his life to Jesus right there on the spot. And we got to experience this kind of supernatural thing in our lives. And as a teenager, taking these risks and then watching God move absolutely transformed my faith because I saw that God was real and that he was worth giving my life to. And so this is the kind of life we need to live, not only so that we can reach people who are far from God, but also to demonstrate to our own kids that God is real and worth giving our life for. This is the kind of life we have to live.
So how do we do it? I want to get really practical. How do I, how do you live this kind of life? Well, we need to adopt a missional mindset. Specifically, we need to consider ourselves to be cross-cultural missionaries to our own people in our own cities. You see, God has put you in a family, in a neighborhood, a school, or a workplace for a reason. You have been placed there for a reason. It's not an accident. And he is calling you to actively pursue people who do not yet know Jesus. Now, a missionary mindset requires intentionality. Missionaries don't just randomly show up at the country that they're trying to go to. It's planned. It's intentional, right? And it requires an intentional lifestyle. It requires counting the cost and making room in our overscheduled lives for relationships with people who do not yet know Jesus. Now, here's the beauty. The beauty is that you don't have to be an expert at apologetics or an especially charismatic or persuasive speaker. You just need to be a good friend. There is power in good old-fashioned friendship because humans are relational. We are hardwired for relationships. It's, it's because that's the way God designed us. God himself is relational, right? God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were in relationship for all of eternity, and he has put that inside of us. So the great truth is that everyone, everyone is looking for deep relational connection and belonging. Everyone is looking for that. Everyone wants to be known and loved. Now, people may put up barriers or act disinterested, but you can bank on the fact that everyone you meet is looking for love and acceptance. Now, if that is the great truth of our culture, that everyone is looking for belonging and connection, the great lie of our culture is that to love someone I have to affirm their lifestyle or worldview. This is the great lie of our culture. I, a little while back, I, my kids go to a public school in Minnesota, and fortunately, the principal at that school is a believer, and he and I are friends, and he called me. He said, hey, would you be part of this uh, district-mandated uh, conversation with parents on inclusion and acceptance? And you can imagine some of the conversations that were going on in that. So I showed up at that place and was there just, I wanted to listen. And I was hearing different parents talk and they were talking about all sorts of stuff and, you know, why we need to think about this and that. And, and this one particular mom said, you know what? I think it's important that we, we recognize that love is, or sorry, tolerance is not enough. We must affirm. This is the secular ideology of our day. Tolerance is not enough. We must affirm. But here's the thing. We need to challenge this. Because love does not equal affirmation. I can love someone and not agree with how they live their lives or the choices they're making. I can absolutely love someone. Think about it. If I'm a good father, I don't let my kids do whatever they want, 
right? If I love them, I guide them away from things that harm them. Otherwise, I'm not a very good dad. I mean, my four-year-old would be dead by now if I just said, hey, buddy, do whatever you want, right? But I love him so much so that I would say, no, this is not for your good. In fact, affirmation of sin is the opposite of love, right? So love does not equal affirmation. And our best example of this is Jesus. Jesus demonstrated this truth beautifully. He showed us that association and relationship with sinners is not synonymous with affirming their lifestyle. He freely associated with people who had been marginalized from society because of their immoral lifestyle, and yet he did not hesitate to challenge them and tell them to go sin no more. A great example of this is in John 4 when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. You consider the context here. He's meeting a Samaritan who already the Jewish people don't want to be associated with. And then he's meeting this woman who she's been married five times and now she's living with a guy she's not married to. A good Jewish rabbi should want nothing to do with this person. And yet he engages her with love and tenderness. I mean, it was a radical countercultural thing that Jesus did. He was so compassionate, so loving, but he never said, okay, but just be you or do what makes you happy, right? He, he, it was, he had no problem engaging and being around people, even to the point where the Pharisees would accuse him of being a sinner himself because he loved lost people. But that did not mean he affirmed their broken lifestyle. So where do we start? How do we do this? How do we practically do this? The best place to start building relationships with non-religious people in your life is your sphere of influence or your oikos. So this is a Greek word in the New Testament, oikos, that specifically means your, your household or more broadly, your sphere of influence. So who are the people in your life, your family, but also your coworkers, people you go to school with, your neighbors, people in your life. Who are they? Who are specific? Let's say who are the two to three people in your life that are already there that you need to pursue for a deeper relationship? I would encourage you even right now, ask the Lord, God, who do you want me to, to pursue? And the first step is to pursue for friendship, for deeper relationship. Now, I want to make a note here. If you're a parent or a grandparent whose young adult children or child has walked away from the Lord, or maybe you're a young adult yourself and your brother or your sister has deconstructed their faith, here's what I want to encourage you with. Commit yourself to being a consistent, loving presence in their life. Pursue them. Meet them on their turf. Let them know that even though you don't agree with their choices or lifestyle, you love them and nothing will ever change that. And then start to pray. I'm sure you already are, but start to pray like crazy and never give up. Their story is not over yet. So pray that God would bring about people or circumstances that would open up their hearts to the gospel and then be patient, but be ready for those moments when God gives you an opportunity to have a spiritual conversation 
and reintroduce them to Jesus. Your kids who have walked away, their story is not over yet. All right? Now, beyond our oikos, beyond our sphere of influence, we should seek to expand our sphere of influence. A good missionary mindset is how can I pursue and develop relationship with people who currently have no connections to the church, who have no connections to a believer. And so we should seek to expand our sphere of influence by being relationally present in secular places. So by that, I mean there are many opportunities. So consider, for example, hobbies, things that you like to do, sports, arts, kids' activities. There's lots of hobbies where you can naturally connect with people or causes, neighborhood groups, different social causes where you can connect with people. And the beauty of a cause is people that are part of that, inherently they believe the world is not as it ought to be. Amen to that. And they want to be part of making it different. They want to change the world. And we as followers of Jesus can say, yes, we have a basis for that. That God is bringing justice to the world. So we can connect with people through cause groups. We can also go to places and events where secular people are. Be relationally present and develop relationships with those that today, they're not going to come to a church event, but they can meet you as a representative of Jesus. So to give you an example of this, in Minneapolis, where I live, there's a group of young adults who are part of the Steiger movement that in the summer are, are regularly relationally present at this beach um, that's a lake right in the center of the city. And so in the summer, tons of young adults come there, hang out, and what they do is they set up a, like a, a little stage with an acoustic music set, they have a barbecue, they have lawn games, and they hang out at this place, and they'll go there regularly throughout the summer to develop relationships with people that are also there. And when I'm in town, I try to show up and be part of it and just to connect with them. And here's the thing you have to know, like when, when I'm in an environment like that, I might be the kind of guy that can stand in front of a stage and preach and I'm comfortable with that, but I'm not the kind of personality where it's easy to strike up a conversation with a stranger. Like that takes a lot for me. So what I do is I just stand there and I say, God, give me one opportunity to have a conversation with one person who does not yet know Jesus. And then I just sit. So I was sitting there and all of a sudden I saw this young couple um, drive up on a, one of those rentable scooters. They were like, both of them were on one of them. And they came driving up and they stopped right in front of our barbecue spot. And I just had the sense, that's them. And so I went up to them and I, I introduced myself and I said, hi, and I asked their names and all this. And I said, grab some food. And then they sat down and we began to talk. And it was this young couple in their early 20s. Their name were Kat and Terry. They'd only been together for like a little bit. They really didn't even know each other that well. And we just were talking. And as we were talking, I had this deep impression that Kat was, was believing lies about her identity and self-worth, which is really common in our hyper-comparative social media age, right? She just felt insignificant. She felt invisible. And as we were talking, I, I had this prompting from the Holy Spirit, which is weird. I said, hey, are you a singer? And she looked at me kind of confused, and she's like, yeah, I am. And I said, well, you should go on our stage and sing a song. And she's like, really? I'm like, yeah, get up there. And so I, we kind of coaxed her to get on stage and she, she started to sing a song. We got our whole crew together on the stage and we treated her like she was the biggest rock star ever. And she was singing these songs and she was just beaming. And then after she was done, she came off stage and her whole demeanor totally changed. She was not invisible. 
And then for the rest of the night, they stayed with us and we were having deep conversation about where do we find, why is it that we all long for intimacy? And where can we find that? Because humans will always disappoint us. Is there someone that can bring healing and reconciliation and forgiveness that will not disappoint us? And we were talking about how only that, that can only be found in a relationship that's restored with God. And we had these deep conversations, and at the end of the night, we always end our nights with a, a Bible study for the non-religious, which is a super informal study of the Bible. You can have any questions you want, and they stayed around, and at the end of the night, we, we shared the gospel, and Kat prayed to receive Jesus right there at the beach in Minneapolis. And this is an example of being relationally present in a place in order to intentionally develop relationships that give us the opportunity to share the hope of Jesus with people who wouldn't walk into a church. And here's the beautiful thing. Anyone can do this. You can do this as well. And so my encouragement to you is it starts with an intentional lifestyle of pursuing people who would not walk into a church. Now, I want to give you some resources. Like, I don't want to just encourage you. I want to resource you. So one of the ways that we have a resource for you is, is a free downloadable resource, Seven Practical Principles for Establishing Relationships with Non-Religious People. So if you're going, man, I want to do this, but I don't necessarily know how, um, download this, go to the website, pull out your phone, you can do that, and uh, um, click the QR code there. And you can download this resource that helps give you the practical tools for developing relationships with non-religious people. So download it, read it, and then ask yourself, who are the two or three people in your sphere of influence, in your family, at work, at school, or in your neighborhood, who are the two or three people that you will pursue for a deeper relationship? And then where is that one place, hobby, cause, event, place that you will go and be intentionally relationally present in order to develop relationships with people that today would not walk into a church. Also, don't forget to also to pick up a copy of Not Beyond Reach out in the lobby. But my challenge to you is this. If ever there was a time or a generation that we needed to walk outside of the church buildings and bring the hope of Jesus to them, it's today. And that God wants to use us because I know that God, that I don't, I, know, I don't know about you, but I don't want to just listen to stories of other people doing this. I don't want to just read about the amazing things that God does in the Bible. I want to experience those things in my own life. And here's the beauty is that God has a plan for each of our lives, not to just survive, not just to pursue comfort, but to use your life to impact the lives of others for all of eternity. God wants to use you to change the world around you. And that means not conforming to the world nor hiding from it. But it means entering into the world with bold faith characterized by outrageous love and contagious courage. Let's pray. So Lord, we thank you that you so loved us that while we were sinners broken, you didn't leave us there. You entered into our worlds. Lord, you entered into us and you pursued us. And Lord, it's because of your grace and your mercy for us, Lord, that we can have the hope that you provide. 
And Lord, I pray that you would just well in us a desire to use this vapor of time that we have on this planet to bring your hope to people all outside the church. I pray that you would give us courage and a supernatural love for people. Lord, that we would not assimilate nor hide, but that we would go into the world. So Lord, I pray, Lord, this world is broken, but the hope is found in you, Jesus. And so look around at this place. Here we are, send us. Use us to bring your hope to a broken world. I pray this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.